your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia guest. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me on this Tuesday edition of the show, it's my good buddy, John Mattis. John, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot, Dmitry. It's, uh, it's, uh, we're, we're sort of in that period right before the All-Star break where, uh, I wouldn't say it's like dog days, but, you know, it, there's the, the playoff races aren't quite as as thick or as as urgent as they will be in a month or two. Yep. And we're kind of past all that early season stuff. So it's it's a good time to analyze big picture, that's for sure. Well, and and just because of the unique sort of considerations with the cap and how tight up against it everyone is and how little flexibility there is, and teams are very happy to to tell you all about that as an excuse for why they're not doing anything. <laughs> I, I I think we're gonna see a lot of moves at the trade deadline. But it's going to be like the day before and the day of. It's not going to be. And as I say that, hopefully there will be a trade here that that proves me wrong and breaks soon. But I really think it's going to be a lot of like, uh, I don't know, we'll see. And then it'll all kind of just like the floodgates will open and all happen, which is great. It'll be a great week. But unfortunately for us, we kind of have to wait till then and, and, and come up with content in the meantime to sort of fill the time. That's what we're here for, right? That's what we're here for. Yeah. Well, so we're going to do uh, we're going to do a mailbag today. Uh, which is exciting. I wish we were, we were going to do this initially on Monday and it would have been Mattis's Mailbag Monday, which would have been an, oh. a great alliteration, but um, we'll settle for a, for a Tuesday edition. So the questions keep coming in. I guarantee we get the most thoughtful questions out of any hockey show out there. I'm confident in saying that. And that's not surprising because we clearly have the coolest and smartest guests uh, guests and listeners in the business. So no, it, I'm amazed. Like I've only done this my second Mailbag with you, but like, the amount of in-depth questions and ones that are hinting like, hey, there's a deep discussion here versus like something just surface level where we'll move on in five minutes. Like these people want us to dig in. So yeah, I'm still tell, the PDO listener. You can tell they've given it thought themselves and they just want us to talk about it to either confirm what they've been thinking or or make them think about it from a different angle. Sometimes I get questions where I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to like, I'm going to put this in the back burner for a couple of weeks and give it more thought. And then once the time comes, I'll be able to answer it, but I can't even... 10 minutes right now won't do it justice. So let's uh, let's get into it and let's see how, how many we can rattle through. Um, this is a good one for us to start with. So Matea asks, with Matthew Kachuk's trade last summer, you'd have to think other unhappy young stars on bridge deals have thoughts of forcing a similar move. Can you think of any other candidates? So this is a really interesting question because this is obviously something that's been happening in the NBA for years now. It's a bit more of a newer uh phenomenon in the NHL it's kind of the this concept of quote-unquote pre-agency right where it's like the player isn't necessarily a free agent yet but they're forcing the issue because they're good enough and they have the leverage and because of the timing where it's generally going to be the case where it's an RFA who has a pretty big qualifying offer coming up that'll walk them right to unrestricted free agency and so at that point the team that's holding them risks losing them for essentially nothing or having to trade them last minute for for 50 cents of the dollar so do you have any names off the top of your head that you think are not necessarily maybe even there yet but are starting to take some steps down the path let's say of potential discontent or potential all right let's keep an eye on this because uh if things go wrong over the next six months to a year this could really come to an head well the first thing i'll say is that it's hard to like properly speculate about this because we don't know what's going on behind closed doors in terms of like there might be 20 unhappy RFAs out there, but they, they put on a good faith. Yeah. Um, but that that sort of disclaimer or that um, qualifier that the question included 
of, of sort of a disgruntled star or a star that wants to get out immediately took me to Pierre-Luc Dubois. Mm-hmm. Um, just because there's been a lot of smoke around him uh, wanting to go to the Canadians. I believe his agent went as far to say that, you know, he wants to play in Montreal at some point. Um, and, and Dubois has done nothing to, to sort of put out that fire. Um, so he clearly has his eye um, on somewhere else, whether that's Montreal or elsewhere. So he certainly jumps off the page, um, especially because he's having a career year, 49 points in 44 games. And also, you know, he has good two-way effects. He's, uh, you know, has those those physical tools that GMs drool over. Uh, he can shoot and score. He's got that dual threat going on. So there's a lot going on there uh, as far as uh, why a team would be attracted to acquiring him. And obviously there's some sort of motivation from his part. Um, he's not a, a, a UFA till 2024, so he's got one more year um, as an RFA. And his qualifying offer is $6 million, so that's certainly uh, digestible. Um, I, fi- I find he's a bit of a frustrating player. I don't know about you, Dimitri, but like at his best, his high end is like, um, you know, uh, uh, an elite number one center. Yeah. But I don't know if we see it as consistently as true number one centers. I feel like you see his best game. I'm just going to throw a, na- a number out there, but like a third of the time mm-hmm. um, versus maybe that that really true number one is like two thirds of a time of a time of the time. And you know, we saw that a little bit in Columbus, right? John Farrella and him really butted heads over a couple of shifts where he he seemed to not be putting in the effort and. Um, and there's just been other instances when I've watched him and, and been wanting more. But like I said, the, him at his best is is a pretty dominant force, a, a new age, a modern power forward. So I, I see some interest there as far as uh, where my head's at and, and how he fits into this question. So the Canadians, that's an obvious answer where he might land. I mean, the Canadians themselves have to be interested in him, right? It's It takes two to tango. Well, um, let's. But I also see the, the the Kings and the Rangers as these other yes. big markets as potential spots, especially given um, where the both those franchises are as far as building up and contending. Like Dubois would be a really good piece to throw in there. Yeah, I thought when he became available in Columbus that the Kings were a really interesting landing spot because they obviously had the the pieces to facilitate a trade like that, and and he'd be a nice sort of bridge in the sense that. While, while Kopitar in particular, but also let's throw Doughty in there, are still there and making big money, he can come in and immediately help them. But he's also young enough where you can almost kind of have your cake and eat it too in the sense that he'll eventually take more responsibility and sort of become the guy, especially down the middle from from, from Kopitar, right? And this was before they, before they signed Philip Deneau and before a lot of things have happened, but I still think it certainly applies. I mean, I get what you're saying in the frustration. I've sort of conceded that back and it's like it, it is what it is that you're not going to get it necessarily every single night since the start of last year from my money he's been remarkably good and um you know as you said the series on pace for 37 goals 91 points he's 14th in the league and in, in high danger chances generated he just lives around the net um always involved like sometimes to a frustrating degree right like physically where he can maybe get involved in like dumb post whistle stuff and, and penalties and, and put himself in, in harm's way in terms of not being able to be on the ice and, and help contribute. But that's sort of what you get with a pure Luke Dubois experience. Like it, it is what it is. I still think it's such a net positive and he's a fantastic player. And you're right, he has he's telegraphed this, right? Like he's playing on a one year six million dollar deal. He's made his intentions, I think, pretty clear at this point. Now the Jets are 
playing really well this year. And you, yeah. you wrote a big thing on Kyle Connor. We can talk about him later as well if we have time. But just tying it into this conversation, the Jets having such a um, you know a glass half full season so far in terms of I think even the most optimistic outlook wouldn't have expected this from them with Rick Bonus coming in and everything coming together. Now they're getting healthy as well. Nick Keeler is back producing. So this is like a team that's playing really well. And I don't think that's necessarily ultimately going to change the trajectory in terms of um, changing his own long-term outlook reviews or where he wants to get himself to. But I think it does change the conversation from from our perspective as, a media, as the media or from even the team's perspective in terms of their timeline. Because it's like, well, you can kind of justify playing out this season and then revisiting in the offseason again since you do have that time as opposed to if things had gone off the rails and they were struggling, I think right now we'll be talking about like, okay, where's Pierre Lecdewaux going this trade deadline? Yeah, I was thinking of it more as a, an off-season yes. move. And and who knows, right? Like, these things change. We could be talking about him in the off-season going, oh, he just signed a long-term deal with Winnipeg because they had this fabulous playoff run. You know, he realized he loves the city, loves the room, etc. So it, it is a bit of a um, asterisk situation where the Jets are just on fire. I mean, they lead the Western Conference right now, so they're out trading Dubois, um, especially as a team that... I, I don't know about you, Dimitri, but I've always found, like, um, the Jets on paper always coming into the season, you go, you know, there's no reason with that top six, with Hellebuck, et cetera, they shouldn't contend, contend. But then there always seems to be something that goes wrong. It's an injury. It's, you know, Shifley and Ehler's not playing well when Connor is or vice versa or Blake Wheeler's on a, a cold streak. But I feel like this year, everyone's more or less dialed in. So it's a, a kind of a special year for Winnipeg, at least through the first half. We'll see how it all unfolds. And the bonus effect is real. So um, Dubois came to mind immediately, but it might not be that immediate change that uh, that the question is maybe asking for. Well, the interesting thing with him is, I'm looking at it right now. So he is in his sixth season, right? So yeah, he's got one more year. You can basically take that qualifying offer, I believe, that'll walk him right to UFA, which is kind of what we outlined as the candidates for this question. And he's going to be on the younger end of things as well once he hits that point, right? Because he he turns 25 in June, I believe. So like by the, by the following summer, he's going to be freshly turned 26, up for a new mega deal, which is great because that's kind of the time that you want to be buying as opposed to when you get into that awkward like 28, 29-year-old range and all of a sudden you're like, all right, how many good productive years am I actually getting? I think he's going to be a hot commodity from a, all right, let's get this guy signed to an eight-year deal because it's not going to take him till he's 36 or 37. It'll be a much more kind of reasonable uh, age range for him. Absolutely. Uh, who's your who's your, your name you want Well, I had to go local here. Elias Patterson. I mean, I, I think it's almost as obvious of a candidate as Pierre-Luc Dubois. He hasn't necessarily been as public or his agent hasn't been as public in terms of telegraphing those intentions but with everything that's going on with the Canucks right now I think it's worth bringing up he makes 7.35 million next year 10.25 million is going to be in in, in actual salary because it was backloaded and then he's an RFA in the summer of 2024 and at that point he can basically if he doesn't like what he's seeing he can take an 8.8 million dollar qualifying offer and become an unrestricted free agent in July 2025 and the reason why I bring this up is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in his Hockey Night in Canada hits, in his most recent 32 Thoughts, Elliot Friedman has made a point of going out of his way to reference or cite Elias Pettersson as the only untouchable that the Canucks have. Distinguishing him from Quinn Hughes, who he's saying 
they're clearly not in a, in a rush to trade. But if you come at them with a godfather offer, we'll at least think about it or consider it. Whereas Lance Patterson's just off the table. And I don't, Elliot's a smart man. I, I don't think, I don't think that is coming uh, by accident. I think it's a clear, uh, you know, and distinguished messaging coming from the team, pushing the agenda of, and I think make wanting to make it kind of known and put it out there for Elias Pedersen to hear that like, we desperately want you to stay. Right. I, I think that's purely it because it's, that's come into question in the past when he was up for this RFA deal that he's currently on right now. I was like, what's this guy worth? Okay. He was struggling with the wrist is, you know, we've got other players here. Is he going to be the true number one and leader? And this year he's taken his game to such a high level where I really do believe, like I've said this before, if the organization wasn't in such shambles and they were winning, I think he'd be right there with Connor McDavid and Jack Hughes as like the third guy on my MVP finalist ballot. Now, because they're going to finish like 26th in the league or something, he won't, yeah. he won't sniff that. But watching him play, the effect he has on everyone he plays with and how meaningfully and consistently he can create for others and make everyone around him better. And then statistically, you look and it's like, he's tied with, McDavid, Robertson, Crosby, and Tage Thompson in 5-1-5 scoring. He's on pace with 36 goals and 104 points, despite remarkably not having a single power play goal yet, which was like a big part wow. of his offensive arsenal in the past, right? Now he's got a bunch of power play assists, and he's had a few where he was the one shooting it, and it got tipped in or, or deflected in right before it went in, but all count the same, but he technically doesn't have a single power play goal yet, and he's still getting his. With him on the ice, they're up 39-27 to 27 at 5 one 5 Without him on the ice, they're down 82 to 59. Like, they're getting clobbered. They have nothing without him, regardless of, like, like he's so good, and JT Miller has struggled so much that the plan, and and it's been the correct plan by Bruce Boudreau, has been, all right, we need to move JT Miller off off center and put him on Pedersen's wing because he's kind of the only player that can try to, like, resuscitate the situation in a way. And so I, he's been so good, and the team has been such a mess that I think it's 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 some in a monitor. Like we've heard some rumblings come out about discontent and stuff like that. I still ultimately think like once they trade Bo Horvat, he's going to be the captain. They're going to give back up the brain truck and give him all of the money and it'll work itself out. It'll be fine. So I don't think we need to be pressing the panic meter yet, but it's 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 some in a monitor just because of all the things that I, I cited there. Yeah, I think I'm on the side of sort of flagging Elias Pedersen as a possibility here, but also you alluded to it, just the whirlwind or the the mess or the tornado that's in Vancouver right now. It's very difficult to figure out what exactly the plan is. Um, as we record this, we're whatever, 24 hours or so from Jim Rutherford giving a pretty perplexing press conference where he contradicted himself constantly. And Are you the main right? message, the main message was we're going to retool and not rebuild. But then, you know, in the next breath, he kind of says the opposite. So I don't entirely know what to think of Pedersen, let alone every player on on the Canucks and their future, because, you know, for, for, put Bruce Boudreau in his situation aside, which is outrageous, yes. but players um, only, I don't know what, what they're trying to do and who, who they want to hold hostage. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, the reason why I bring him up as well is, is tying it back to the Matthew Kachuk scenario. Mm-hmm. Now the team yep. is an entirely different situation because the Flames were really good last year, and the reason why I, br- I I I bring that up though is because if you're the Canucks and he's eligible for his extension this summer, if you start getting the sense that there is an issue, like you have to start exploring it. Like it, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's it's 
it would be a disaster not to as good as he is as as everything i just mentioned i think he's been a legitimate superstar and i would be more than happy to build my entire organization around him for the next eight years you can't like i don't think this is a situation that's going to get better from a team perspective anytime soon and so you can't enter it this summer being like well let's play out 2023 2024 and hopefully he'll be happier and things will get better because i don't think they will i think this is going to be a long road and so if he does not want to sign up for that and you get the sense of that, I don't think it's a, a type of thing that those feelings are going to change over time in a quick enough manner. And so each day that passes from that point, it's like a it's like a leverage seesaw, right? Each day that passes, it slightly tilts more in his favor or away from the team's favor in terms of what they could get back, how much power they have in the matter. And so this summer, like they really need to do a lot of homework and a lot of a lot of a lot of soul searching and a lot of asking hard questions and it's a shame to get to that point but i think it's the reality of the matter well and from Pedersen's perspective i think if kachuk hadn't done what he had what he did with calgary and it seemed to be in a professional manner you know mm-hmm. from what what's been reported he went to true living and said hey listen i want to help you guys get a good package for me because i'm just i'm not going to sign your long term um so Pedersen looks at that and sees a template. I think that this summer it would make sense if nothing drastic has changed to go that similar route and take a page out of Kachuk's book. Whereas previously, obviously players have requested trades in the past, but the way Kachuk did it and the result of him getting where he wants, getting that massive deal, I'm sure Pedersen's looking at that as a potential playbook. And if you're if you're the Canucks, uh He's your best player, your your biggest piece. If you are serious about flipping this roster over, especially if Patterson isn't on board, you got it. You got to get the best return possible for your best player. Like that, it's just a no brainer. Yeah, it's just scary to think because you mentioned that Rutherford press conference. Speaking of messaging, like it was a lot of we're going to try to take a shortcut here, mm-hmm. right? And 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 with these press conferences, always, you know take it with a grain of salt because you're not necessarily things can change but also there's no real reason for any gm or or vice president hockey ops to come out and actually say what they're going to do but everything the way this organization has acted for years now would lead you to believe that they don't really want to get bad for years even though they have been really bad for years but like intentionally and they want to fast track this thing and I don't really know how you do so by trading away your best player. <laughs> so it's a complicating factor, certainly, but it's uh, it, there's a lot of stuff to sort through, and I think he's a, he's an obvious one. The other guy that I had was um, was Marty Natchez, not because of anything this season. I had to kind of like he's the most recent one from this past summer for me. Now he just didn't really have any leverage because of how poorly his season had gone individually and how far away he was from unrestricted free agency to like you know force his hand, and so. He took a two-year deal at $3 million per and decided, I'm going to play my way out of this in terms of I'm going to play really well and raise my value, and he has certainly done that so far this year. And uh, and so that's something, something to watch for because there was clear discontent there, and I'm not sure if it, it's been worked out and sorted. I'm sure the team playing well and him producing and playing a bigger role helps all parties involved, um, but he's someone that could have been had this summer and, and, and wanted out and teams just weren't smart enough to unfortunately identify that as a as a thing to do well and obviously well i would be very surprised if the hurricanes traded in mid-season so maybe this 
doesn't line up as great as it seemed to for for the first uh, second I started thinking about this. But one guy that came to mind with this question is Tyler Bertuzzi. You know, he's a pending UFA, so you know he's not exactly this RFA that's knocking on the GM's door asking to get out. But he sure seems to be the odd man out there in Detroit as far as this core rising together. And, you know, whether it's Cider, Raymond, uh, you know, Casa who's coming down the pipe and there's, you know, a whole slew of guys, Ben Sherratt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ben Sherratt. Um, he just, and, 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 you know, part of it is injuries, right? Like he just hasn't been on the ice as much as he'd like to. Um, but the production is down, you know, he's turning 28 in February. So I wonder if, even if the Red Wings are close to the playoffs by the deadline, if he's a guy that they consider moving. And who knows, maybe there's a long-term deal set up as part of that transaction with another team. Um, and for some reason, the Hurricanes, uh, the reason why I thought of it with Natchez is the Hurricanes um, were a team that I thought he might fit in with as far as having that finishing ability, uh, the tenacious forechecking. And let's face it, like whether it's Brent Burns or Dougie Hamilton or these quote-unquote different personalities, um, they seem to do perfectly fine in Carolina. They seem to welcome it. And I, I don't know Tyler Bertuzzi super well, um, but he doesn't seem to be maybe right down the middle of, of the typical hockey player. So I wonder if there's a fit there. Um, and I was also thinking the Flyers might be, in terms of playing style, interested, and the Oilers who need depth scoring. Um, so those are all sort of teams in different stages and and whatnot. And like I said, Bertuzzi is a spending UFA, not RFA. But given his age and and you know being out with injuries lately, he hasn't been on the ice as much as as a, a typical pending UFA. Yeah, he's got whatever six seven weeks here to stay on the ice and and produce and and prove that he can be a healthy contributor for the rest of the season. There will be significant interest, and he's clearly not in Detroit's long term plans. I mean just go back to when they signed him to this two-year deal he was on it was it was a very like all right let's just let's just get this done and then we'll figure it out in two years and Toronto is a team that I've heard brought up quite a bit in terms of like trying to get a bit more of that sort of physical annoying to play against element while still actually having a, a productive winger which he is in terms of offensively so that makes sense a team that I'm surprised we haven't heard enough about is the Tampa Bay Lightning because he makes 4.75. The Red Wings can retain that. There's a clear connection there, obviously, between Steve Eiserman and, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think they'd prefer they're limited in terms of future resources that they can uh, put together to entice any sort of trade. I think they'd generally prefer what they've done in the past, what they did with Brandon Hagel, what they did with Barkley Goodrow, what they did with Blake Coleman, get that extra year of cost-controlled certainty so that it's not just one kick at the can and that doesn't apply here with Bertuzzi. I don't think it would come with any sort of extension because they just don't have the means to facilitate that. But he would clearly be a very useful player at a very cheap price at that retained salary that would fit right in. And and so I'm, I'm you know, I'd be curious to see that as a fit as well. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of interest and there's a lot of UFAs. It doesn't apply to, to this question, of course, but you're right in terms of kind of that telegraphing component of it. Absolutely. And yeah, you make a really good point about the Lightning. They've done that, let's get the rental plus a year or two type of player in the past. But they're just, I think they're running out of, out of picks and prospects to to make those packages work, work, right? So this might be the year that they do the 
typical thing, which is get a, a, a rental. And I like that. I like that fit with Bertuzzi. All right. Um, wow, we got through one question here in, in the first half. This is a, <laughs> it's a good pace that we're going at. But you know what? That was that was exactly what we were talking about. The listeners come through with a really thought-provoking question, and there's a lot of uh, elements to parse through and, and, and unpack. So uh, that was a fun one. We're going to take a break here, John, and then when we come back, we're going to rattle through some more questions at a hopefully slightly quicker pace. Um, so looking forward to that. You're listening to the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here on the Hockeypedia Cast with John Mattis taking your listener questions. John, next one comes from Benjamin. Benjamin asks, most of the Islanders' defensemen's underlying numbers have fallen off this season by the looks of it. Is that coaching, regression, or some other weirdness going on? So you wrote recently about the Islanders, so I thought this would be a good one for us to uh, to tackle because you could provide some insight on based on what you wrote about them. Sure, yeah, I... I talked to Thomas Hickey, who recently played for the Islanders under trots and has now transitioned into broadcasting. He's quite good at it, kind of a breakout star in the broadcasting world this year. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk to him was, one, the connection to trots and knowing the exact ins and, out, ins and outs of the system. And then also he's seeing it play out with with Lane Lambert this year. And the the major takeaway from our conversation was that, you know, Lambert still on the more conservative side as far as how his teams play, how structured they are. But compared to Barry Trotz, who is about as conservative as they get, um, it's been a fairly big, big difference. Um, and the, the, the main component there is that the defensemen are actually allowed to do stuff. They're actually allowed to touch the buck. They're allowed to uh, go after that puck on the wall uh, that free that free puck or that 50-50 battle in the offensive zone. They're allowed to initiate a rush. They're allowed to join a rush coming out of the defensive zone on the breakout. So as simple as that sounds and as <laughs> you know average as that sounds in, in the modern NHL when everything's offense, 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 it's made a huge difference um, as far as how these how this team looks when you watch them and then the numbers reflect that I think generally, and, and I'm curious for your perspective on this, Dimitri, but I think generally the riskier you play um, as a defenseman, the more, um, uh, I guess, impact on your, say, your expected goals might be mm-hmm. uh, in a negative sense if you don't have a bunch of horses like a Kale McCarr and, you know, Sam Gerrard or Devon Taves on Colorado. If you have the personnel that the Islanders have and you try to play more up-tempo, more aggressive from your back end, I think that's going to lead to some uneven results with the underlying numbers. Um, so that that's what jumped out to me is just Lambert's actually giving these guys like Noah Dobson, who's just a fantastic uh, all-around defender already at his age, his young age. Um, he's given them a leash, a longer leash. And um, the, the, the awkward thing, I guess you could say, is that the roster didn't really turn over from... Uh, from Trotz to Lambert. So it was designed for Trotz and his conservative system. And then now you've got Lambert trying to switch things up, but I feel like he doesn't have the horses, both on the back end and at forward. Um, there's just not enough 
enough versatility there, creativity beyond a few guys like Dobson, you know, Barzell and, and, you know, Nelson and whatnot. So it's a bit of a transition and I don't know if it's going perfectly, but it's certainly not going poorly as they're uh, just right around the wild card there. Yeah. I think it was, um, I think it was a necessary adjustment by Lee Lambert. Yes. To, to get them, you know, playing, taking more risks um, and trying to find creative ways to manufacture offense where they can and being willing to to live with that trade-off, like you mentioned on, on the on the impact on the underlying numbers, going from 50-50 maybe to 45-55, but on those 45, hoping that you can make, make more out of them, right? And so I think it's been it's been a net positive impact, right? You look at it, they are up to 11th and 5-on-5 five five scoring as a team. You mentioned the, the impact on defensemen. Last year, they had 32 goals total from their defensemen. This year, they're already up to 27 from their blue liners in, in just 45 games. Um, we should say all this has happened. Adam Pellick has been out of the lineup since like early December as well, and, and he's their best defenseman. But uh, they're also up from 26th in in what I like to use as 5-on-5 five five pace, which is just shot attempts for and against, and just to show kind of how much the game is is what's happening out there. They're up from yeah. 26th to 10th this year as well. That's significant. Which, which shows that they are willing to take more risks. Sometimes it can it can lead to worse defensive numbers. But here's the thing. They have Ilya Sorokin. It doesn't matter. Like, uh, you should be taking more risks and exposing him to... He doesn't need to be sheltered in a goalie-friendly environment because he's one of the three best goalies in the league. Maybe, and he should be probably the Vesna favorite so far this season. I'm curious if you uh, if you have the the numbers handy for how many like inner slot shots he's faced, but just based on on natural stat trick, he is up to 31 goal save above expected in 34 games. Now to put that into into context, Igor Shesterkin last year had 37 goal save above expected in 53 games. He's got a 9.25 save percentage overall, 9.33 at 5 on 5. He's been simply sensational. And so you can expose him to that type of environment. And so if you're getting more offensively and you're just fine in terms of what you're giving up because he's stopping everything, I think they found a nice balance. Now, listen, like Dom has them at 91.4 points as his projection around 30% playoff odds. That tells me a lot more about the Metro division and the state of it than it does anything bad about the New York Islanders. Like it is so jam-packed there. And the re- realistic the reality of it is that between them, the Capitals, the Penguins, and if you want to throw in like the Panthers and even the Sabres if they get hot, although they come back down to earth a little bit, there's two playoff spots available, two hot card spots available for all those teams. And so it's going to be an absolute mess. There's going to be a team that finishes with like 94 points, I think, that doesn't make the playoffs, and that's going to suck for them, where if they if they just did the 16 best teams in the league, they would have made it otherwise, but that's what we're working with right now, and so that very well could be the Islanders, but I still think it's, if you take a step back and you look at it, like compared to what a mess last year was, starting the year on the road with all those games, kind of being the guinea pig for for COVID protocols in terms of not having an NHL roster in the league, just being like, all right, you guys stuff to play, and then other teams getting it, and then the league stepping in and being like, all right, this has gone too far. And then them just being penalized as a result of being the first one to incur it. It's been a massively, massive improvement in year one or in Lambert. And I'm curious to see, as you mentioned, as we move forward, if they actually go this route, whether they give him some better, more horses to play this way and whether they shift the image of the roster 
if that happens, they're clearly it's going to be better suited. They're going to get better results. And so, yeah, I think I think it's it's been encouraging first forty five games under under Lane Lambert here. Yeah, I think that's fair. And not only do they have Sorokin, who, and I'll throw some numbers at you in a second, but they also have Barlamov, who's I don't know. You put him on, or you look around the league, he's probably a starter on half the league, uh, a third of the league. Like he's arguably the best backup in the league. Yeah. So they're going to live and die by their goalies. Like I think that's that's probably fair to say, especially as they learn this new way to play. And as we both mentioned, deal with this discrepancy between the roster, the personnel, the skill sets, and this more open-ended type of environment. Um, as for Sorokin, you mentioned, you know, some different statistics. So SportLogic has him third behind Saros and Allmark in goals saved above expected per 60. So that's that's the Vesna conversation basically right there. If throw Hellebuck in there, but um, out of starters, he has the highest, um, or sorry, second highest uh, quality start percentage. So in sixty-seven point seven percent of his starts, he's giving his team a really good chance to win. That's the gist of that stat. Um, and then he's also he's stolen four games. And again, this is one of those stats where um, there, there's you know sort of a, yes, an equation yeah. involved in it, but. Um, four out of thirty-one steals. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, Twelve point nine. What are the what are the what are the slot shots at? Do you have that? Yeah, let's see here. Um, slot shots. He is, uh, like, uh, let's see, eleventh. Um, with three hundred and eighty-nine slot shots in thirty-three games. So, you've got some usual suspects in front of him: Bamelka, Gibson, hmm. Saros. Um, and then some other guys, but he's, he's fairly high. I mean, that's the whole league. He's 11th out of, you know, whatever, 32 starters. Well, cause the reason why I was, I was going to bring that up was they've clearly, you know, part of this has been like two years ago, they were the gold standard in the league in terms of eliminating everything in front of the net and basically like squeezing the middle of the ice as well and just forcing you to live along the boards. And this year, just because of the way they've opened it up, it's tougher to do that. And so they're giving up more from those areas and like natural statric, for example, has the only teams giving up a higher rate of high danger chances against as the Ducks, the Canucks, the Canadians, the Coyotes, and the Flyers. And those are like the five worst teams in the league. If you want to throw <laughs> Columbus in there, there's and Chicago in there as well. Like that that's that's telling to me because yeah. I still see people just refusing to change their priors in the sense that it's like we've become accustomed to thinking about the Islanders as being this certain team that profiles a certain way. And so we're just going to keep talking about them as that. And they're not that, like I just said, they're like a bottom 10 defensive team. They're 11th in the league in five on five scoring. Like this is a different version of the New York Islanders. And for some reason it still hasn't fully caught on yet. So I just wanted, that's what kind of why I wanted to talk about this question in particular. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm glad you brought up the high danger. Cause when I look at inner slot shots, which is different than slot shots. Slot shots is obviously a bigger area on the ice, but inner yeah. slot is essentially like the most high percentage shots possible right in front of the goalie. Um, Sorokin has faced the fifth most, and it goes the Ducks are the worst, <laughs> the Coyotes, the Canadians, the Predators, and then the Islanders. So, mm. And this is like, you know, raw numbers. Yes. So it's it's been tough for Sorokin um, and Varlamov when he's, when he's in the crease as well as far as uh, this change. But they've lived up to up to it so far they've uh been able to make up for that that difference um and we'll see if it continues because um i i don't know i just i just look at 
the roster, and I see a fringe playoff team, but I also see a team relying too much on his goal on their goal. Mm-hmm. It was always always a, a very dicey way to to operate. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 fair. Okay, next question. Booch here asks suggestions or options for the Abs at second center. Looks like this need needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. Now, I received this question prior to the weekend. Since then, they just gave the Senators and the Red Wings a good old-fashioned beating. Yeah. They, they scored 12... <laughs> they, in those two games, they scored 12 straight goals before finally conceding a goal to the Red Wings uh, yesterday afternoon. And just as importantly, they just got Big Val Matushkin back. And... With him in the lineup this year, the Avs are 11-3-2 as a record, and he's just so valuable. Like He allows them, not only is he a fantastic player, but he allows them, he unlocks so much for them up front where they can now get more, much more creative with their combinations, right? Like, you look how the way they're using them now, they've got him and Rantanen on the second line, and it allows them to to spread that out. McKinnon's playing with uh, with Lekkanen and, and Evan Rodriguez, and they're totally fine. McKinnon's absolutely crushing it with those guys. And so... It allows everything to fall into place. It unlocks so much for them. And it seems crazy to say this about a guy who, you know, he got that big contract this, this past offseason. He also was their best player in the Stanley Cup final for my money. But with on a team that has all of these stars, Rantanen's having an unbelievable season. McKinnon's been awesome. McCarr, it's it's kind of everyone's like, oh, what's wrong with Gil McCarr? And meanwhile, he's going to score 25, 30 goals and have 100 points. Um <laughs> Valachuskin is so important for them. Like he might be their most important player just because of what he allows them to do in that regard and letting everything else fall into place. And so with him back now, that's huge. And I'm really curious to see how they play from here on out over the next couple of weeks. And I think that's going to dictate how aggressive they get. Um, but I'm kind of curious for your take in terms of guys you think would make sense for them and kind of how they should be approaching that. Well, I think Horvat is the one that Right, really comes to mind. And I say this with some skepticism as far as making it work because there's virtually no cap space on uh, the Avalanche's books. And obviously, Horvat's not a cheap player. Um, he's a pending RFA, or sorry, I should say UFA. Um, but, I mean, if we're talking ideal scenario, I think he would be the guy. Um, he reliably puts up goals. Um you know, he's got those intangibles as far as good in the room, um, wins face-offs, which, you know, as as overrated as they may be, um, they certainly factor into these types of decisions. Um, it's just, it's a it's a, it's a a bit of a shame that Newhook hasn't fully uh, filled that role. Um, but with Nuchishkin, just to jump on, on your point before, he's a play-driving winger, so I wonder if, like you said, if, if Rantanen's on the other wing, if the center is is not as important that that two C, um, I know JT Comfer has played there, um, so I think it'll it'll really be um, a lot of moving parts, um, a difficult financial move to get that that second line center, um, but also another guy who comes to mind is is Timo Meyer, and uh, again, okay, that, that 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 one's not happening. No, I know. It's like the money that doesn't work and everything. But. No, well, they just don't have he's the also assets. A, he's also a, you know. Sorry, go ahead. Well, they just don't have the assets to make a trade no. like that. Like, because they're not, like, they're not going to trade Bowen Byram. And, like, even with Horvat, like, he only makes 5.5 if you retain half of that. Like, I think they can, the money's not the prohibitive issue. It's, it's, 
what you can give up in return in terms of like assets that would intrigue sure. a, a seller and a trade like that would have to revolve around Alex Newhook in my opinion and and I'd still be cautious as as disappointed as I've been this year in terms of him not taking that opportunity and just seizing it and, and making the most of it he's a 21 year old who I think is an RFA this summer but is going to be very cost controlled and that's valuable for this team and so I'd, I'd be very cautious on on especially since you're not going to be able to afford to to re-sign a Horvat to just like I know Stanley Cups are all that matter and if they get healthier, they're once again going to be right up there as the favorites, and so they should they should try to defend their crown. Undoubtedly, I just I, I worry about that. I'll give you I'll give you a name that I think helps satisfy a lot of this and and alleviate some of the concerns. Adam Henrique. Hmm. So the slight complications are he's played the wing this year, which is not that big of an issue for me because he still takes all the faceoffs for the Ducks and. He has played center in the past. I think it's that's totally fine. He can play. You can slot him in down the middle. I think the bigger issue is he's on the books again for next year, so he's not. Um, it's not as clean because I don't think the Avalanche ideally want to be taking on future money as well, especially for a player who's on the wrong side of thirty. But if the Ducks can facilitate it by retaining salary, I think there's some wiggle room there. And he's the exact. I, I'm so glad you brought up the the idea of okay, you're going to be surrounding whoever the second line center is with two of Miko Rantanen, Valerie Nachushkin, Arturi Lekanen, or Gabriel Landeskog when they come back, when he comes back. That's like about as good of a spot as you can put a center in. Does not need to be a, a world beater in terms of being a 5-on-5 needle mover. What I like about Henrique is he's a good, uh, he's, a, he's a great finisher. Like he's always been an above average uh, converter on his opportunities. He produces at 5-on-5. And he's having a fantastic year this year that's just being kind of overlooked because he plays on on the Anaheim Ducks, right? But yeah. like he leads the team in scoring. He's on pace with 27 goals very quietly. Mm. And here's a here's a stat with you. I brought up the 515 impacts with Pedersen earlier. This is probably up there as as one of the most mind-blowing ones that I've found. So with him on the ice at 515, the Ducks are outscoring teams 24 to 23. Without him on the ice, they are down 102 to 40. Oh my God! At this now, point in the season, that's outrageous. We're now, halfway now he played like now, now like he's played all of his minutes with like Troy Terry and and either Trevor Zegers or, or Mason McTavish. Like he's always like they're they're putting him in a spot where he's playing with whoever the team's best players are. But I don't care. Like I I think if at this <laughs> point of the season, if you have that type of impact, and it's not like this is like some out of nowhere AHLer that's like all right, how good is he actually? Like he's got an extended track record of being a good NHL player, right? I think for that price that you can probably get them for very cheap. Um, teams like the Abs, teams like I would even say a reunion with the Devils makes a ton of sense. Uh, I think teams should be all over it because he can meaningfully improve your team, very versatile, can use them in different ways, as I said, and it should be cheap. Like I don't think the Ducks are going to be expecting any sort of premium assets in return. So I kind of keep coming back to him as like a guy that checks a lot of boxes for a lot of these contenders. Well, and he's got a 10-team no-trade list, so that would work in Colorado's favor, presumably. Yes. They wouldn't be on there, so if he narrows the market down, that that obviously helps. And you wonder with Henrique, a guy who's been with the Ducks for a bit here, um, like if he's just ready to pack his bags and, and go and move on. Like he's been through a fair bit here since since coming over. Um, so I I hadn't thought about that one, but 
But I think you're onto something, Dim. I actually think, yeah, it, it, it seems, it feels strange to say because it's a Colorado avalanche, but I think they should be targeting a player that actually um, is more offensively oriented, hmm. right? Like, they, we don't think about the Avs as being a team that struggles to score, and, and, and their power play is certainly amazing, but because of all the injuries, because of all the moving parts, like, 5-on-5 five five has been a bit of a grind for them this season, and... I'm perfectly fine with that infrastructure in place, with the environment, with the players they have, with the wingers they have, to to get a guy who can once he gets the puck in the offensive zone, put it in the net, and 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 Henrik certainly does that right in a very underrated way. So that's kind of one that I I kept coming back to. I mean, the center market is is pretty limited, right? Like yeah, beyond I guess the big names and in Horvat and Ryan O'Reilly when he comes back, and I guess whatever your mileage on Jonathan Taves is at this point. Um, and 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 in Tage's case, even if it's salary retained, like it's still going to be what a, over five million uh, in in cap hit. That's going to be tough to tough to fit in. It's pretty limited. It's like Ivan Barbashev, Max Domi, like and then even we've heard that the Blackhawks might want to keep Domi. Um, yeah. And so it's it's the list of guys available that could fit that need are is is pretty minimal, which might juice the prices on some of them because supply and demand situation. But I still think Henrik, you can get him for for very cheap. Yeah, I, I considered throwing out O'Reilly but the more I thought about it I'm like it doesn't make a ton of sense it's obviously a sentimental pick as a former Av but you mentioned the broken foot so who knows what it'll look like afterwards you know St. Louis is actually still right in the hunt for playoff spots or they're they even trading this guy um his year hasn't been great even before he got injured um he's got seven point I want to say seven five million uh on his cap it so O'Reilly is one of those ones where if you saw, you know, one of those those trade boards and you're thinking second line center for any team, you go, of course. But then you start pulling the the, the threads on him and you you get turned off, especially for a team like the Avs. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be interested in him. I still think he's got some juice left. He's been a bit unlucky this year. But yeah, I mean, like I said, for for the Avs, I think I think it's OK to to go for a more offensively oriented guy. Um, OK, we had one final question here about the Predators. I mean, we only got a couple minutes here left, so we, we we can jam this one in. It it's a it's from Thomas, and Thomas asks if you were the GM of the Predators, like how would you approach this current situation in terms of retooling versus rebuilding versus having this aging core? I mean, Don has them at twenty one percent odds to make the playoffs. They they've had a bit of a surge here just because UC Soros is is an absolute maniac, um, and that's about about it in my opinion. Like they're 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 so they're so backed into a corner with this team and it's it I don't feel bad for them it's it's by their own doing but like they've got so much money committed in guys who are 30 plus in terms of age for many years down the road and so I don't meaningfully I don't know really what you do beyond if an opportunity comes up to shed one of those contracts I would just do it like w- without even worrying about making my team worse right now and what I'd get back in return like if I could just get as much of a clean slate as I could I think that's the route I'd go yeah they're the definition of a a mushy middle team. I mean, they've lost in the first round a bunch over the years. They don't have a ton of high-end prospects. You look at the roster and in Forsberg, Duchesne, and Johansson, they're not a cup-contending big three. I don't know, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what else is going on around them. And they're making $24.5 million combined over at least the next three years. Some of the mm-hmm. contracts go further. Like, that's a whole lot of just mediocrity. And, like, on their own, those players are, are valuable. They're good. But just the way that the, the roster has been structured, it's a lot of B-plus players, not enough A players like a Yossi and a Saros. 
So, I mean, my actual answer to this would be to to blow it up beyond Saros and maybe Yossi, although he's aging, right? So maybe he's on the way out. But I, that's obviously unrealistic, especially when we're talking about David Poyle, a uh, guy who's basically has a lifetime contract there and and clearly making the playoffs is is an objective. So I think the more realistic answer is probably to figure out, like, when is this team going to go all in? So I would say it's not going to be this year. Um, but say if you pick two years from now, I don't know, maybe you think Cody Glass is going to pop or Tomasino is going to be this this real uh, important player. Well, then build towards that that moment. Get out of that mushy middle at some point. Use your first to to acquire young players and, and have them grow within your group and maybe, like you said, get off one of these these uh, bigger contracts. Um, it's it's a little disappointing, honestly, how they've um, how their season's gone. Because I thought the Niederreiter acquisition was pretty good in the offseason. I thought Ryan McDonough was, considering the the price was nothing. Mind you, I'm he's obviously uh, he's old and he's battered and he's he's not quite the player he used to be. But I came into this season pretty optimistic about the Predators as far as making the the postseason and and maybe making some noise. But it's almost same old story. I mean, John, they they have fifty six million dollars in commitments on the following players: Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, Michael Granlund, uh, Sissons, Torres's buyout, Yossi McDonough, and all of those players are in their 30s other than Philip Forsberg who turns 29 in August and all of them are on the books until at least 2025 at which point UC Soros will be a 30 year old unrestricted free agent I, I I don't when you say like pick a time to go all in I think they're all in like this is this, <laughs> this, 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 this is the team this is what they got I don't I don't know you cannot trade any firsts with this team like you well, I was just thinking like is there, way, is there a way to maneuver what you have on your roster, keep, you know, five of those pieces, but trade three. You know what I mean? Like, I guess it'd be a retool, like a rest of retool, whatever uh, term you want to use. But like, I just feel like what they have right now is just not going to work. That's well, and, and the problem with the current landscape is, is a lot of those pieces are not like net positive assets in terms of like, you're not going to be the team getting back stuff for them. You know what I mean? Like sure. you'll be lucky if yeah. someone just takes the contract off your hands for nothing. And so that that's it's that's what that's kind of they box themselves into that, and it's a shame because Saros, like I said, is has been a top three goalie this year again, and and you know after a relatively slow start, the final twenty five game or the recent, most recent twenty five games, he's been the best goalie in the league. And so to be in this position with that in mind is is disappointing, but it it's the reality, and I think they need to they need to take a long look in the mirror beyond just kind of like closing their eyes burying their head in the sand and hoping for the best just because they have sorrows so all right man well this is a this was a, a bit of a somber note to add on but i think otherwise a very a very fun mailbag i'll let you quickly promote uh promote some of your work and let the listeners know where they can check you out sure <clears throat> excuse me uh yeah I, i'm the the senior nhl writer for the score you can find me at m-a-t-i-s-z-j-o-h-n on twitter i post all my links there so that's probably the best bet um, but as usual, Dimitri, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to, uh, to bantering in the future. I love it, man. This was a blast. Uh, I enjoyed it. Hopefully the listeners did as well. We'll be back tomorrow with more. Uh, so until then, thank you for listening to the Hockey PDO cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network.